Kalos, Taryn Burke, and you are listening to The Witch's Muse, Stories Beneath the Surface, where initiation and inspiration meet, and we explore the many facets of being human. Our work in the world matters. Let's talk about it. Kindness eases change. Love quiets fear. And a sweet and powerful, positive obsession blunts pain, diverts rage, and engages each of us in the greatest, the most intense of our chosen struggles. That was by Octavia E. Butler, Parable of the Talents. Welcome back to The Witch's Muse, where we explore the many facets of being human. This podcast is such a journey for me, and I and I notice specifically in this episode um, that's coming through. I believe in Aquarius season, where we talk about the devil, and this is actually an episode that explores the facets of lineage magic talks about spiritual commodification, lots and lots of laughter, and even moves through candle magic. It is one of the episodes that I think really honors the practitioner and the totality of practice, right? Where we are, where we're going, where we've been. And I can't even help but to listen to myself as uh, this episode is, I have a pretty quickened tone to myself. And it's really interesting to kind of witness even the tonality of my voice, depending on the seasonal change. So I'm coming through. This episode is going to be released now in December, which is we are moving into winter. And the episode kind of was kind of created towards the end of winter. And the interesting part about this is we're kind of still reflecting on our time in a pandemic. And here we are still reflecting on our time living in these times, right? And so it feels so important to kind of notice the connection of the timeline as well as what's changed, what's adapted, what's shifted in the timeline. And so I really enjoy this. Um, I want to deeply, deeply, deeply thank Jonathan. Um, It was just so fun and such a joy to be with them. And us, we laughed, we cried in (laughs) tears of (laughs) witnessing white fragility, uh, the metaphysical bookstore experiences. And again, I just want to be so inherently grateful for them for showing up. I'm excited. Again, you can find Jonathan at Son of Oshun here on Instagram. Uh, I also want to say that some of my pronunciations, I think, of some of the work, specifically, I believe, uh, Yemaya. I think I might have said Yemaya. And so I just wanted to honor the languaging uh, that's presented as it's not my tradition. So um, I apologize if any of the language or the phrasing of the terms um, might have not the most accurate pronunciation on the recording of this episode. Uh, Specifically, the Yamaya is one that I knew of. Um, And please, of course, if something else comes up in the episode of pronunciation, I am always down to be course corrected. So without further ado, I give you an amazing episode on the devil with two amazing tarot readers as we slumber into the heart of Sagittarius season. Thanks so much. Hey everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you're still here, I'd really like to share an amazing upcoming workshop offering that we're going to have in 2022. We are coming through with a two-part candle magic cultivate a intentional practice workshop series. You are allowed to just take one of the workshops or take both workshop one and two. And we are going to be having a connection and a collaboration between myself and Monica of Wild Ritual. Wild Ritual is an amazing handcrafted beeswax candle 
space and I'm really excited to be connecting with them. Everybody who attends um, the second workshop will receive a pair of awakened candles. These are, again, handcrafted candles by Monica that will be sent to you before the ritual so that you may use them during that ritual space. We are really excited about this. We wanted to create a space uh, to talk about candles, uh, collaboration, of the kind of craft of candle making, uh, candles as a spiritual tool or supportive practice, candles as memory, or I like to call them ancestral calling cards, uh, candles as a way to connect to the bees. And we're really excited to talk about our honoring candles across lineage time, the way that we support candle divination, and so much more. Workshop two is specifically designed as a ritual space. Uh, it'll be a guided me- meditation, small breakout workshop sessions and a time for open reflection. You have to take workshop one in order to take workshop two, but you can also just take workshop one. All workshops are sliding scale because that's how we do. And of course, as always, a portion of our proceeds will go directly to uh, 1492 Landback Lane, Yinta Access, and that's specifically for indigenous peoples for things such as legal fees, supplies in their fight to uphold law and preserve sacred land against the CGL pipelines. So any portions of proceeds that are above kind of the sustaining... Uh, sliding scale are going to go directly uh, to those movement spaces. So you can find out more information on my website at www.thewitchesmuse.com. The website will be back and running at the beginning of December. So I'm looking forward for you all to check that out and I will see you all soon. Thanks so much. Welcome back, everyone, to The Witch's Muse, where we explore stories beneath the surface and the many facets of being human. It is such a pleasure to just like love on, be in relationship to, have storytelling time with this beloved of mine. We kind of began as just Instagram friends. I to be honest, loved all of their Sailor Moon like spirited wear as well as just like the way they showed up into the space around pulling singular cards. Um, A lot within the tarot community, especially on social media, there's a lot of card interpretations. And so again, we can kind of get whatever we need, but Jonathan's just hit differently. And so I'm just really excited to welcome Jonathan and son of Oshun on Instagram here for the podcast. Thank you for having me. No, and I really appreciate you reached out first and not to point fingers, but like seriously, you reached out first and it meant a lot. Um, we met during a really turbulent time, and I noticed that your voice was really prominent on the Instagram space once I checked out your profile. And I'm glad to see that that was the moment where I was still giving like a personal bits of my Instagram, but also focusing more on just the card of the day, the aspects, and sharing what I've learned. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to share a space and kind of just commune. And thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's such a pleasure. And it's also, again, in the ways of like, you know, we talk about things like fast fashion and we can talk about fast food spirituality, but just kind of noticing, you know, as we, as everyone kind of comes into their own spiritual practice, as we're on, um, as Jonathan said, so wonderfully like season two now of the pandemic of like what it is we're moving towards and being in relationship with. Um, This is going to be a conversation around kind of lineage-based magic. I'm really excited to learn more about the Orishas, Oshun, Yamaya, um, and just, um, you know, just the relationship we have to tarot as well as our own spiritual praxis of divination. So, Jonathan, the question that we always begin with is what was magic like for you growing up? So for me, magic was always something that was innately feminine, in my opinion. Um, I was raised in the South, which traditionally, like, you know, very religious. But for Southern Black folks, and we'll get into hoodoo, I had heard whispers of hoodoo when I was little. Um, There was talk of like, oh, she put a root on him. Did not know what that meant. So magic to me was like Sailor Moon waving her wand, you know, putting on that locket and transforming. And then eventually it grew into, you know, Harry Potter waving a wand. And then ultimately, like, as I started to get older, I realized that, like, magic was something that, like, you believed in. And if you believed in it, you could make things happen. Um, The easy example of magic to me is um, basically thinking of, like, your birthday wish, right? 
someone lights this candle, you think really hard, right? You set your intention and you blow it out. And then your birthday wish is supposed to come true. So that is always the little moments of life, you know, things that are imbued with magical power, evoking a transformation, and then also candles and wishes and intention. That was always magic to me. Mm, I'm excited. We're going to talk a little bit about candle magic, y'all, and just candle dressing because it's uh, big within my personal practice. And I know there's some work that um, Jonathan has done around candle dressing as well. And so it's really beautiful, actually, that we talk about this because I've been wanting to talk about just practices within magical traditions. Um, And in, again, the world of the internet where everything is like so open and accessible, but almost to the point that it's this like free reign and it can can come and spiral out into being um, kind of lacking origin story, I think is my my big thing or lacking like um, kind of where the foundings are, like trying to get to the understanding of like how it all began and, and again, understanding kind of the past lineages, which I think is so important, um, as well as, you know, some practices specifically within spiritual t- traditions are considered closed, i.e. you can't wave the magic sailor moon wand and all of a sudden you are this thing (laughs) it just does not work like that um and in a time of like which i feel like is really beautiful where we're able to like re-reclaim we're able to self-identify and cultivate that there's also this important discernment about like okay when something's closed like i don't need a karen telling me that i need to be praying to oshun when i'm like no no offense karen You know, I just am like, I don't need that. I'm not going to essentially like, to be honest, like hoodoo and the idea of conjure, you know, really rooted within like black folk spirituality. Like I have never felt a sense of comfort seeing it come from white folks. Like I've always been like, "Mm, that just, just, it just doesn't sit with me, you know? And so I'm so curious as we talk about this, and this is a big question, right? But how do you feel about, you know, closed practices, which again, for folks that are just coming through. So closed practices usually are initiate based, right? So you have to be initiated through a lineage. There's definitely a sense of rights. There's rights of passage or thresholds crossings that one needs to come through versus an open practice. Um, actually things like Shintoism is more of an open practice. There's not a doctrine. There's no founder. Um, it doesn't kind of root on that of having like one source or one person. Um, there definitely are priests that have been initiated, initiated into Shintoism. Um, and the specific reason is they then hold practice over processions, ceremonies, and specific things. And they, that's kind of their offering, but anybody can be, uh, with, if they're kind of moving through the ways and, and leaning into Shintoism, you know, folks can, lean into and understand Shintoism and be practitioners of Shinto um, without being a priest. And so I'm so curious, like that whole, it's a big question, but just how do you feel about closed practices versus open practices, especially within like root and conjure and hoodoo community? Like what's been your kind of experience with that? I love that. And I also think that you did a really good job. Thank you for bringing us to, when you think of like open and closed practices, we see the fact that I think One, where's the energy? Or sometimes money is energy, something that I really want to get into now. Where is it going, right? Where are you putting your coin, your effort? And also who is heralded as kind of the bastion or the beacon of knowledge, right? So if you think of a lot of the appropriation of, uh, let's start with yoga culture, the people who are like getting the coin are known as like the go-to yogis aren't people of color or people who are in the practice as it connects to religion, but it's normally like fit white people who are like, this is life-changing or manifest it or like yoga and chill. And it's sad to see, like, it's almost if like you water down like a very potent drink. And I don't mean like an alcoholic beverage, but just say like, like a little bit of pomegranate juice this much can go so far, you know? But if you water it down, it kind of tastes like the juice, but it's not as powerful as if you just savor the purity of it. Um, And with that, I don't mean like keep everything separate, What I'm getting into is that when you think of the things that you mentioned, like hoodoo, conjure, um, there's also like voodoo and voodoo, there's the separations. And I think that if you look into the history of things, I was realizing that like, first and foremost, by my, not birthright, I'm born Southern. So this is something that I'm familiar with, but I didn't really look into. So once I started Googling, I realized that there are things that like have always made sense, like sleeping outside of your house, things of that nature, or we have our own version of like the evil eye or just ill intent. So with hoodoo and conjure, it's very difficult because of the way that Black folk migrated to kind of put that gate up and say like, no outsiders, you know? 
technically like anyone can be indoctrinated into hoodoo because there's no indoctrination process. Like you can learn it or you can Google it, but it's also like, if you are, let's say like a white person specifically, and you're like, I'm a hoodoo hottie, people are going to drag you. And I think that's rightfully so. However, once we start getting into conjure, to me, conjures the crossover between where we're almost hitting like Santeria, which is a religion, right? And we're crossing over into hoodoo. Um, are you familiar with like how hoodoo came about? Hoodoo is essentially um, basically when slaves came over from Africa, they had their own, you know, the Orishas, their own deities and their religion. And like we said, with that glass of pomegranate juice, because people weren't remembering it as it was passed down through generations of people who were being enslaved, it became crossed over with um, the Christianity and religion that like the slave masters were forcing down slaves' throats. And then also people who were like, no, we need to keep our religion in check. So it kind of became like a blended thing. So there's a lot of like Southern black folks who still believe in God, but also have blended God into these like, you know, ritual practices, into these spells, into these roots, if you will. And it's very interesting to see, like, I have a book of like old hoodoo spells and they're like, grab this page from the Bible, do this. And I'm like, okay, it's a mashup. So with that, we're talking about like anyone who's kind of in that religion can mash over. Santeria is the purity of Udun of just like, no, you have to be invoked by Babalao. You have to go through all these initiation processes. Um, so one can like love the Orishas and understand them and talk about them, but you can't necessarily commune with them safely or, you know, invoke them without going through that process. I noticed to kind of circle back to your point where I began to get frustrated is as I started to dive into hoodoo, um, the hoodoo tarot, amazing. Uh, the knowledge comes from a black woman and it is also illustrated by a woman of color. Love that. But I went to my local like metaphysical shop and I'd love to see your experience with this. And I'm like, okay, let's see if they have some hoodoo books. I look and it's like, okay, Babalao, Michael, Michael, uh, <laughs> Michael, like some white last name. And I'm like, excuse me? And I Google it and I'm like, that's a white man. And then like, I'm like, D I go on Amazon, I look up hoodoo books, the number one hoodoo book, Carolyn Wright. And I'm like, okay, so essentially you're telling me that like a white person went around the South, got all this knowledge from people and is now profiting off of it. And you're forced with this dilemma, and I think it's almost the same as we discussed it earlier, and my friend was kind of despondent about it. I did a 23andMe that confirmed that I'm, like, mostly Nigerian, which was, like, really nice to be at peace to understand that, like, you know, on the level of DNA, I am connected to, you know, the Orishas in this practice and things that I want to get into. But it's, like, I don't know that because my ancestors were enslaved, so I had to pay money to get that knowledge. I don't think when it comes to hoodoo, I don't feel good or conjure about giving more money into essentially like a history of colonization and enslavement to get my culture back. You know, I think that when we talk open and closed practices for closed practices, if you go through the indoctrination, if you pay those fees, um, things of that nature, I don't necessarily think ethnicity matters. I don't, I know like one white person who's indoctrinated and he seemed really cool. Um, I met him just kind of serendipitously, but for hoodoo and things of that nature, it's either you're kind of, I don't want to say stealing that knowledge because knowledge is free. But as you know, like, I'm not one to really like say, this is hoodoo 101. Like, that's not what I'm going to do. You know, some people do that as like conjure priests. So it's really up to the person. But I think that people really need to separate the fact that like, if you need to be indoctrinated, you can't go around saying that I'm like crowned Oshun or this is who speaks for me. That's not what you get to say um, because there's a process there and there's a history and there's ritual that you can't just Google and find on Wikipedia, you know? And that's the other thing, too, when we talk about like oratory knowledge and what it is to have this like, you know, in spaces that actually weren't the Internet. Right. Like people were passing on all this information in person, in small spaces, in communities, in villages. Um right on plantations, right? So all this, all this information that was once kind of secret, and I want to really honor the the ways of secret and sacred. And I want to just offer that into an importance. Like, I think that things that were kept secret in a lot of ways were able to be kept sacred. And I think that there are moments where we can, yes, openly share, express and all of that. But there is this thing, and I feel like all of us resonate with this of like an oversaturation of information where you're getting so much information all at once that it's really hard to digest one what's yours like authentically really checking in what's yours and then being able to embody that right like if we're constantly just trying to grab literally and that's kind of again unpacking that kind of colonize or extract in mentality if we're just trying to land grab all of these cultures and then like puzzle piece them together like I'm so not down I'm so not down um and that's an interesting thing. Like when you mentioned, if I knew anything 
about the origins of uh, hoodoo, um, conjure work. And yeah, I know a bunch of folks that practice conjure and hoodoo, but like, I just, they, they, we keep it moving. Like really, we just like, they have their flow and I'm so excited when I get to hear and talk, but like, I, I don't need to know everything, right? Like there's, to be honest, there's a part of me that actually like loves the reverence of witnessing someone in their craft and in their gift. Like similar with me with Shinto, like I get some folks talking to me about Shinto, but like, to be honest, as a solo practitioner with Shinto and, and working with it, um, even though it's open, I have no problem sharing about it. It's one of those things that it's going to be a lifelong process. So I'm not necessarily like in a big hurry to try to just like download, unpack and like throw all this information out. Like I think there's, and that I think is, is changes with things like spiritual capitalism, right? Like I just so wholeheartedly agree what you said that it's just, it's in such fucking bad taste to like try to sell somebody back their culture. Like what in the actual fuck? So for me, um, and especially actually when we come down to like a big dream of mine is to create, um, and I'm super excited to talk about with this with you in moments, you know, moving forward, but just, I would love the idea of creating a tarot deck and I would love the idea of creating a tarot anthology or a book of tarot. I just saw that there's this really amazing Kickstarter happening, um, for black and brown folks around astrology. And this person is moving forth to get this Kickstarter funding, um, for this astrology book. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes, um, about the Kickstarter. Um, but it's just like, I'm so here for that in terms of publications, in terms of information in terms of how it's received. And I think we're beginning to see that, right? Like, I do think that that's happening, especially like for folks that have been into tarot within, I don't know, I'll just say the last decade, I'll say even the last five years, but for myself, who's been practicing tarot for about, you know, 12 or 13 years, like the selection was like from GameStop. Like it was not anything that you're trying to, like you got the tiny little booklet with the 20 pages and now- You have to make it work. I'm so sorry to interrupt. It's literally like, I remember getting the right away and I was like, this is it. I've arrived. I'm a witch. <laughs> and now I'm just like, after a couple of years, I was like, wow, they're literally like the suit of wands maybe, but there are no black people in this. Let's expand. There's no people um, with brown hair, barely. Everyone got blonde hair. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? And I, oh, honey, I could go on for hours about that if you want to delve into it. Oh. Um, and I totally hear you. Like, you started, like, OG 12 years ago. It's like, now everyone has their own tarot deck. Love that. But I'm also, like, when we talked about how to, like, I keep going back to pomegranate juice. I don't know. I'm feeling Dionysian today. Watering it down. When I tell people um, I used to work at, like, a magic shop, there are certain tarot decks that there was, like, the David Bowie tarot. And I'm like, cool, I love that for you. And if you love Bowie, cool. But like, you're not going to get the imagery of the standard rider weight, which is not me saying the rider weight's the way to go, but that's the basis of almost, I want to say like all of tarot. So you're not going to be able to like understand like an actual tarot deck when you get one, because you started with like the mystical cat tarot or like the David Bowie tarot deck. And those are fine. But I think that's what we talk about of like fast fashion commodification of people not really understanding the roots of things. Right, right. Shout out to Cecilia Weston, Tarot Academy, and JT Perry, um, who is doing just really great work on terms of having folks learning the rider weight, having them understand kind of like the bones of it. And then you're able to move and bend and shape and again, inform your own information, right? But giving yourself at least the basis. So like when you do show up to a tarot space, that's the other thing too. It's like folks will know really quickly, like if you're reading or supporting people in tarot, if like you haven't really studied the writer weight, it's kind of like, it, it can be really interesting to kind of reflect in that. And again, I'm just like, so here for all of the information around just self-created self-published decks um with specifically black and brown people of color like i'm very excited about just the rise of decks um and it's been really fun to again connect to that so thank you so much we will probably have quite a few conversations mostly probably on clubhouse or even on instagram around things like open and closed practices because it needs to be talked about more i think people kind of like skirt around or it's kind of beginning it begins in an 
argument. It doesn't like begin in conversation. It begins in totally. like a call out or a cancellation. And so, you know, we're actually talking today a lot about the devil, um, which is, you know, we're going right in as we move. Um, and I always like to say when we talk about tarot and even just a lot of things in life, like sometimes the devil is in the details, right? So, so much of these intricate parts of tarot and some of the hidden messages are sometimes in the details of the cards. And so I'm so curious for you, the devil in the card as it comes through for us. And also just the notion, a lot of folks have heard about this is the notion of cringe cards, right? So if you haven't, cringe cards is this idea or this kind of feeling really, it's an embodiment of when you have kind of a card, whether it's the three of swords, um, whether it's the devil, whether it's the tower, that you experience kind of a visceral embodied reaction or you cringe when you see it. There's a little bit of almost like a contraction. And so I'm so curious for you, like what does pulling cringe cards look like uh, within your practice? So I've moved forward and um, there's certain ones that I just love. Uh, the three of swords is never gonna be a good time. And I tell people like, sometimes, what people think when they see these cards, it's like, oh, this is going to happen. I'm like, no, this is a confirmation to me of how you're feeling. So let's start off um, with like, as you dubbed them, the cringe cards. We think three of swords. We think the tower. Sometimes it's the devil. To me, also, another one is like the six of swords, if we can get into that one. And then the seven of swords is shady boots for me. Those to me are the ones where I'm like, okay, something isn't right. Because think, for example, they all generally, I've noticed that when I pull one, another one is fast to follow, especially if I do another reading after, just to build up for your listeners and people watching. The Six of Swords is a very passive, like, okay, you know what? I'm sailing away from it. It's done. But sometimes it's like, what am I sailing away from? Like, what was the bad thing that happened? The Seven of Swords is someone being shady boots. They're sneaking off with something. And a lot of the times I find that like, when I get the Seven of Swords, the reason why I consider it like a, or I call them like, uh-oh cards, or like, okay, pause. Um, is because generally I'm lying to myself or if I'm doing something that I know isn't my highest good, the seven of swords is like, you know very well what you're doing. But working our way back into it, for me, the tower was always a blessing. It's one of my birth cards. Um, and the gag of it is, is I have two and then the chariot and the tower. And I'm working on duality, but it's literally like either I'm full speed ahead, following my goals, or I have been falling apart my entire life almost. So when I get the tower, it's like, okay, girl, you know, whatever you've been working on is, is about to crumble. It wasn't built on a steady foundation. And what I tell people whenever I get this is, you know, with the classic right away, we see the tower, it's struck by lightning, people are on fire, they're jumping out of it. It's like a nightmare. But I'm like, it's not like the tower crumbles and then you're just like, now what? You take that rubble and you rebuild something better. And maybe you get the tower again and that's okay. I think that once you start really learning the depth of the cards and not so much focusing on the immediate feeling of like, ah, but the aftermath or, um, okay, so now what? it really can be an empowering moment because like if I draw the three of swords, unless it's like a future reading or a love reading, I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. or I know how I'm feeling or it kind of just basically like gives you a pat on the back. You know, that's what I think of with those cards. Mm. Now the devil, when you're ready to go into it, this one is, I don't want to say complex, but it's interesting and I want to handle it with care. That one I've been doing a lot of extra research on and it's been a card that has not been like near and dear to my heart, but I was never afraid of. And I like linked up why. Um, <laughs> have you, how do you feel about the devil? Like when you get in the readings, are you like, Ooh, or ah, or. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great thing. When I think of the devil, there's a lot of what I'm thinking of in relationship to the parts of myself that I haven't fully integrated yet. Parts of myself okay. that maybe I'm not willing to trust. Uh, the parts of my, of myself that have been considered taboo by society. Um, okay. those that's kind of like how I piece it together for myself. And also sometimes when I think of the devil, there's a part of me that also thinks that what I'm doing is also something that might be, you know, not considered acceptable by society, which then again, depending on the cards that are pulled forward or afterward, it's like confirmation that I'm actually like moving to doing things that are really really shifting the very nature of like good and bad or like this, again, this, this concept of this kind of bullshit duality. That's just like the idea of light and dark, like those binaries to me just simply don't exist. I really understand yin and yang, but really what I understand that from is yin is more internal Yang is more external. That's literally the definition for me. And it's honestly in like tissue states and ways of being within the body. It has nothing to do with gender um, or fucking race for that matter. Like, 
whole other conversation. But so for me, it's kind of, yeah, parts of myself that may have been honestly misplaced along the way, not reintegrated, um, kind of parts of myself or secrets that I have been unable or willing to admit and offer out into my space. Or again, like I said, I'm doing something or I'm being with an idea that's literally shifting kind of the culture as I know it, or my relationship to the culture as I know it. And then it's kind of informing me and the other cards, I'm very big on dialogue with cards. And so for folks listening, so the idea of dialoguing is you have whatever's in front of you, whatever's behind you, you know, instead of just reading, um, just as Jonathan had mentioned, just a card kind of straight out, you're able to then actually get a conversation, right? So everything is in relationship. Tarot should be a relationship first and foremost that you're building not only with yourself and your own intuition, but with the cards or the decks or the energy that you have. And so to be able to see the relationships of whatever cards before and behind you can really actually offer a lot of deep wisdom and also not so like aversive kind of energy. Like you don't get so, you know, Uh, I get that. I thank you for that. I'm also like going to do more energy into yin and yang. I'm going to Google that or have you just put me on please. If you feel like sharing links, For me, I think that you did a really good job of showing like light and dark. And when you look it up, I think that first and foremost, you know, we all have our lived identities because like of queerness and because of the experience I've had, I've never been like turned off by anything. Like I saw the word when I first Googled the devil, they were like, it's a perversion of the lovers. Right. And so like the Rider Waite lovers is like this traditionally like white cis couple, an angel's like, love this for y'all. The sun is shining. It's like the garden of Eden type energy, right? Like you literally see the tree with the apple and the snake. It's Adam and Eve. And I'm like, okay, well, Adam and Eve has literally never been my story for a multitude of reasons. So I tell people when I get the lovers, I'm not like, yay, like new partner. I'm like, that's cute. Like I think that it's like puppy dove, pardon me, puppy love, lovey-dovey energy, but I'm looking for two of cups. So when I saw that and they were like, the devil's a perversion of the lovers, I'm like, okay, let's get into it. And with the devil, you see a figure that's kind of doing the as above, so below. And then there's two figures who are kind of marrying that, right? Instead of the angel, there's the devil or Baphomet. And then they are chained back to this pedestal that Baphomet's sitting on. And then they're chained like by the neck. So immediately I was like, that's just bondage. So when I really was unpacking the energy of the devil, I understand it as like kind of an obsession. And I don't want to like give any like crappy pop culture representations of like bondage or S&M, but literally what it's saying is that like you get into this obsessive state where whatever you're fixated on, be it money, be it sex, be it desire, be it power, even though you may be getting those things or you're either getting them or hyper fixated on having them or hyper fixated on losing them. And that's the gag of the devil is it's not always a losing game or a game per se. It's like, you're going to kind of enjoy it, right? There are ways that you can enjoy it, but you're always fixated on whatever it is. And as someone who's very like love and romance and like desire focused. And like I said, a member of the queer community, I would notice that like, whenever I got the devil in a relationship, sure. Like the, like maybe the sex was very hot. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe there was like a very intense pull and desire towards one another. But almost always, the devil will never really show up unless you're doing like strictly a sex reading, right? Um, It'll never show up in like a healthy, balanced relationship. It's this kind of intensity, this kind of dark desire that maybe can be fun in like a safe, controlled, consensual space in small doses, but it can't be a 24-7 thing. So I think that when you look into the devil... um, as I was like reading on like a past relationship, I was like, what did I lose? And I got the devil. And I was like, oh my God, was that like the only passionate, turbulent romance I'd have? It was like, no, that was, it took me a while before I was like, no, that was super obsessive and bad on both parties. And the gag of it is, is it's never one-sided. As you see, there's three figures in the devil card. So there is um, like the woman, the man, and then they have both because they spent so long in hell, right? In this obsessive state, they've grown horns and like they have tails. Um, and I think that the woman almost has like, it's like a pomegranate as her tail. It's some kind of fruit, but like, it's literally like, no, you've become like this kinky demon for lack of a better term. And I always get it sometimes when I'm hyper concerned with finances, if I feel like maybe I'm overspending or I'm like super fixated on amassing money. So the devil is really like a wake up call. But also I think that we want to talk about not just when I say like consensual, like consent, right. But also like How long have you spent in this underworld, in this dark state? If you're getting the devil and you feel like you're not there, it's a heads up, it's a warning. But if you're getting the devil and maybe you've got like 15 Amazon packages on their way, maybe it's time to step back, you know? 
<laughs> I love it. And I also love the conversation around bondage. And I love that you're bringing in the imagery because it'll be really great to put the images up for folks to kind of see as well as just the way that it's been represented. Also, lovers, such an interesting thing. A card that I didn't really understand is my soul card as well. And I was just like so mad about it. I was like, what, what, what is it? Because it was so kind of Disneyland-esque upon seeing it and this idea for me of returning to the idea of, defini- uh, of divinity, what it is for us to be divine. And so also never growing up with the Adam and Eve story, I've had to kind of reemerge and also be in a different relationship with my relationship to the lovers, which also comes from learning the rider weight so that I can then move forward within other decks. There's some great um, uh, representations of the lovers in other decks. Um, shout out to like the Numinous Tarot um, has yes. a really great one of just like a bunch of people coming together in community and being in reflection of each other's community. I'm like, yeah, that's the type of lovers that I'm standing for is the communal, that's what I'm here for. the communal part. So, well, when we've kind of gotten into just the ways that you've been able to review it in a reading, and we've been talking a little bit about relationship readings and just how you would read the cards themselves. Do you have a favorite spread that you would do for yourself or one that you find yourself doing a lot for others? others i always do three card spreads and i love that you brought up having a conversation with the cards i used to be and like i have a little digital tarot app that i use for like pinches if i'm just trying to like throw around ideas um i used to be a full celtic cross girl so that meant like every time it was time to do a reading i'm like let's pull out the celtic cross which is like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten cards or twelve it's ten right it's ten or twelve it's i to be honest i just can't eat i just can't even i just when you said that i was like I used to, and I'm like, you can't pull that out every time. Now, if I'm doing an hour long reading, sure, you get a Celtic cross because we have time. With that being said, as I started to transition into other decks, I'll be honest with you, and there's no shade. Like, I found out that what am I? I'm like 9% or 12%, like 19 maybe European. So I was like, it's in there. I've got to try Quetra Tattoo. But if I'm using like the African American tarot or the Orisha tarot or the Celtic cross tarot, I'm not about to like, uh, I'm not about to use like a Celtic cross spread if it's like a, a deck with black imagery. That's just me. So yeah. I find that three cards is always really good about getting to where you need to be and then building off of it. There's mm-hmm. also one, and I'll try and find the booklet called Anasi's Web, which is like the black version of it. And it came with the African-American tarot. And it was a lot deeper because it was like Anasi's like this kind of like spider trickster. And I was saying like, this is the web you're caught in. This is what's going to break you free of it. And I like that a lot better than just like the firmness of the Celtic cross. Yes. So for me, three is really where you can go. I think that I use that for everything like mind, body, spirit, or in a relationship reading, right? You can do person A, person B, and the card in the middle is the energy that lies between them. It's just so versatile. You know what I'm saying? Situation, action, outcome. I could go on forever. It's like yeah. uh, eggs. You can cook them anyway. Yes, I love it. We will definitely make sure to write some of those down too and share them with folks because, you know, it's so interesting. I have, and again, it's been a while. This is, I think starting three card pulls are definitely the way to start. And I think they're the way to continue to develop because again, there's something that's really potent kind of about that Trinity. And I think there's something that's really potent about the power of three. I mean, we could just my little charm reference, sneak it in there. Um, I got that. And so just finding, again, the ways to be in relationship to the cards. And so, again, I'm really looking forward to the conversation of making our own spreads that really work for us. And so I will sometimes pull six card spreads. I'll sometimes pull seven card spreads. I really love this spread um, that was taught to me by Courtney Alexander of Dusta Onyx called the vehicle spread, which is... uh, a passenger driver side, you got the headlights, you got the brakes, you got the passengers. So you can kind of think of like front seat drivers, who's back seat driving, who's kind of driving it with the lights, who's putting the brakes on it. I love that one. Um, I love circle readings too. Circle spreads are really fun to me because you can, can really see how the cards are communicating to one another. Um, And I'm always here for the querent or the kind of indicator card. I'm a big fan of always pulling a card to thematically move the reading forward. And I've always been into that. One way that I love to do that is, of course, just pulling from the deck. Or if you're feeling saucy, you can always pull the bottom card from the deck and flip it over. That's a fun little one that I've also really loved to do. I love a querent card because you'll have those three cards, 
But then you also can have something that's archetypally conversating with the rest of the reading, right? So I'm just big into treating cards like entities, making them sentient. They have their own personalities and ways to talk with one another. And so I love getting to talk spreads because um, there's just so many. And there's so many, like, again, the Celtic cross has been taught to a lot of us, but like, I personally don't find very much relationality into it. It's a great one to learn. It's a 10 card spread. I sometimes make it a 12 because I sometimes use the querent cards and I draw a couple of those. Um, love a clarifier. Yeah. And so it's just, but it's really important again to just know what works for you. And so I love that the three cards again is such a great place to start. Those just kind of favorite spreads, past, present, future, mind, body, spirit, um, above, above, below, within is always really fun too. I love that um as well so you know as we move into this and we kind of moved through the lens of tarot we're now going to kind of kind of come back to the lens of actually clearing decks so we're going to talk a little bit about clearing decks and then move into just some divination practices and also just your work with um the orishas and just how that's moved for you what your relationship has been to it as of now um and as of late and so kind of to move through with our tarot is just in times of deck clearing so first, I would love to know the decks that you're really excited about. We can give a little bit of some show notes to some decks that folks are loving and also just a way to clear your deck. So people have different things um, for different decks. People do different things. But how do you normally clear a deck, um, whether whether you're changing with reading with clients or um, if you are just kind of clearing the deck yourself? I normally use, and like, this is one, like I use sage incense because I try not to get bundled sage because obviously like, apparently like, like we said, we talk cancel culture and like closed practices. Like it's okay for like some voodoo practitioners to use it, things of that nature. But sage and Palo Santo have been so over harvested that I'm like, I'll use the incense or the sticks and kind of like fan the deck out and run it through the smoke. If I'm feeling frisky and I've got the time for all 78, I'll take it card by card. And for clearing a deck, I find that when you do it card by card, that's how I get when I first get a new tarot deck. I take it card by card and shuffle it up. That's what you want to do to kind of just make sure all the energy is incorporated. But like maybe after like a really intense reading with a client, I'll definitely like cleanse it in the smoke or things of that nature. Um, sometimes I put a crystal on it, but mostly I just use the smoke. And that really helps because you're thinking of like kind of like getting rid of like any not negative energy, but stagnant energy, I say. If you find you're getting the same card a lot and you think it doesn't resonate, then it's a good time to clear the deck. But that's just been my go-to and I've been really happy with it. Mm, I love it. I am a big fan of that. I also am a big fan of the shuffle method of like how I begin to shuffle to also clear out energy. So I'm a big fan of, and again, this is space. This is all space for like, if you have the space, right? So we don't want to prohibit, you can shuffle any way that feels good. But if I have the space to really give my entire deck, like a full circle, like the full circle spread, I'll be able to move the energy in a counterclockwise direction to kind of clear clear it out and then a clockwise direction to bring it in. And that's after I've done um, some of those things. I also do love putting crystals on my cards as clearing out channels. They're big for me and they feel, it feels great to have that kind of kindred space um, as well as smoke. I'm a big fan of frankincense is one that I really love a lot. Um, love it. And it's one that I've used again, any type of smoke that feels kindred to you and your lineage. Um, as we mentioned, like don't be fucking with, you know, white sage and palo santo because they're over harvested um so now moving into we kind of find our space and i'm just excited to talk about just your work with the orishas again just whatever feels like where you're at now maybe how you got started what feels like a way that you've supported um that in a daily practice if you have a daily practice um yeah just whatever feels alive for you and kind of supporting that and even just breaking down some of the key orishas too for folks that just may not know just to kind of give some context for folks and I say deck-wise, to kind of circle back to that, and yes, with the Orishas, so This Might Hurt Tarot was gifted to me by the creator of the deck. She is amazing. She has a shop. That's the one that I use now as my new Rider weight. My Rider weight deck is more so my personal deck. I don't use for readings. And then I think the Hoodoo Tarot is one that's really versatile um, in just learning about the culture. Now, for the Orishas, I found that like the Hoodoo Tarot does not incorporate those. It's all of the Southern bits and the pieces of our culture, which is great. The African-American tarot, however, does cover them. 
And my relationship with the Orishas really has evolved. Like there was a lot of like, not humility, but learning about things that I did that I was like, oof, like probably shouldn't have done that. Um, there's a super cool metaphysical shop in my neighborhood and they have candles of like everything, right? So they have the Orisha candles, they're 550, depending on the color. And they have like a picture of them. So like I got an Oshun candle and then I got like an Oshun oil that smells like honey. Love it. Still use it to this day. You know, dress the candle and I'm like, oh, like, I just want to be like vivacious and like very confident. And then I like really hit like of hitting my own stride into my mid twenties of really like fixating on that energy. So with the Orishas, I think of it, and I don't like to compare deities across, like obviously their connections. I would recommend, and I'll leave it in the chat, getting this book called Deity Linkage, because it shows you by your birth number, which deities you correlate with. So Oshun is the one that I feel like isn't overused, but everyone knows about, you know, because of Beyonce and other things. So she is the Orisha of like love, fertility, divinity, beauty, things of that nature. She's normally seen dressed in gold or luxuriating, but also it's said that like with her sweetness, there's a sharpness and it's known that like those who are, uh, I don't think crowned is the right term, but those who resonate with Oshun, like don't take shit. So you can't necessarily say that like, this is who speaks for me unless we go through that initiation process. Obatala is known as like the head Orisha. He is normally like depicted as an older man dressed in white. He is very much about like law and order. It's said that those who are like trying to worship him don't eat spicy foods, like things of that nature, because it's very much kind of like an even keel energy. Um, and then as I move into like Yamaya is, you know, the Orisha of the ocean, uh, motherhood, fertility, things of that nature, a very calming healing energy. So, I mean, obviously, like, if you know different religions and different deities, you can kind of connect the dots all around. I think it's very interesting um, when you think of, like, okay, the ocean, like, if it's Greek, it's like, that's Neptune or that's Poseidon. But, like, for, you know, the Orish practice for Africans, they're like, no, that's a woman, you know? So understanding how you brought up, like, yin and yang, how we correlate certain energies with the masculine or the feminine, depending on our region, right? And maybe that's because where they were, the sea was turbulent and they consider that masculine. But like in Africa, it's like, no, the river, the oceans flow, it's beautiful. Um, things of that nature. So like I said, I was dressing Oshun candles, burning them copiously, things of that nature, getting little oils. But it wasn't necessarily me being like, this person's on my side or like, I am derivative of them. Plot twist, actually, according to deity linkage. And then like also my ancestry. Yes. But when I started, I was actually like, son of Oshun. And then that's when I like started to look into like, the practitioner and like a ritual of like actually getting indoctrinated into, you know, the actual worship. And I was like, Ooh, I can't say this. So if you know, now my name is actually like son of Osun because that's a region in Africa. Um, so that's different. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's where my, my like linkage is DNA wise, but I can't claim that I'm like of Oshun or of Yamaya. These are just the ones that correlate with me. And when I think of my divine masculine or feminine, these are the archetypes that I choose to lean into if that really makes sense and resonates, you know? And I realized as I started to like, look at the crossover between hoodoo and then the crossover between the actual religion, what it is, is not necessarily like, okay, the Orishas are who we worship always, or the Orishas are everything. It's the Orishas are images of like what we can aspire to be. They also make mistakes. They also experience jealousy. Um, but this is the traits that you want to lean into. My favorite that I'm still researching and I found out like in terms of my divine masculine is uh, Orunila, and I'm probably mispronouncing that. He is actually the Orisha of divination. So he was gifted the gift of divination. There's a method that uses these small shells that's really amazing and like hard to learn. It's like, I want to say a closed practice, but you got to find someone to teach you that I want to get into. And I just love that like he's seen as a scholar and I'm like, that's a masculine archetype that I would love to lean into. So as you lean into them, it's great because let's be real, like we've all talked, you and I have talked Charm, we talked Harry Potter, there's Percy Jackson, but for black folk, um, there's not really any kind of like pop culture moment that we can lean into or see yourself as something to be deified, to be regarded, to be held in high esteem, right? Um, so we straddle the line for me where I'm like, yes, these are the Orishas, I'm learning about them, I love them, but I can't necessarily say I've gone through the indoctrination or I can't even say like, this person's on my side. I'm saying these are the ones that I choose to research. And these are the ones that like, to me, I really resonate with those characteristics and want to embody them. Mm, mm. 
Yeah, it's so interesting, I would say, in terms of what I've seen in mainstream representation, i.e. like TV movies, it's mostly been Papa Legba. Like if I was to look at like one thing that I have seen continuously through like quote unquote pop culture, like we were just talking about American Horror Story recently before we got on. I mean, that is the one that I've seen just like constantly pronounced. Right. And again, it's there's a difference in of like. It again goes back to that, like, to be honest, harmful, problematic narrative of like dark meaning destruct, like all of this binary bullshit that's just like essentially again fed to us through the idea of colonization and white supremacy. So I'm just like, it is something that for me, I mean, I personally find like, but really sexy. That's my own personal preference of just like the ways and the energies of it um, in terms of what they offer, especially as the spirited to the dead and, and the living, like to me, that's actually really sexy. Um, So I'm very curious too, as we talk about a practice of, um, of divination and we talk about open and closed practices, just the beauty of knowing that they are also ones that can have jealousy. There are also ones that can make mistakes. Like I love, I love talking about that because it doesn't really create this like bypassing culture that we can sometimes see when folks are doing, you know, worship to specific deities, like they can do no wrong, they can do no harm. Or if I'm acting in service to them, then I am all of a sudden exempt from From wrong. Right. And so I just love to emphasize that, again, just leaning away from the concept of perfectionism and kind of saint, saintly like behavior um, as a way of operating at like spiritual capacity and like spiritual, um, just kind of your way of kind of upholding your spiritual way of being or holding it up with integrity. So I love that you brought in that conversation because I find it so important. Um, you mentioned candles. And so I wanted to get into a little bit of candle magic of just like what is kind of like, and this will be kind of like our our kind of wrap up question of just what is your relationship to candle magic? And, you know, what are ways that you like to dress a candle and why um, is there one that you offer specifically for boundary work too? I think, you know, we're in this time where it's really important that we are understanding and recalibrating ourselves so that we can show up stronger for community and for each other. And of course, ultimately for ourselves. And so I have this big belief of like, what are the ways that you are choosing to re-energize, right? Like in a place, especially again, in a pandemic world that we're living in, it can be kind of exhausting to see that we have to continue to kind of move and groove. And so ways to kind of reset that ways to almost resist a little bit of that. Like, I don't think there's this like going back to normal because it was never normal to begin with, right? But when people mm-hmm. are like longing for this new normal, the reality is, is we're just entering another stage of existence, right? We're just moving exactly. it forward and whatever that looks like. So I'm curious, yeah, relationship to candle dressing, um, kind of uh, candle magic that you found really um, supportive and generative for you and any just kind of candle dressing offerings or tips that you might have for folks? I think that first and foremost, you want to look into color magic for candle magic. That's always where I start. And then after that, like, let's say if we're making a little course list, go from color magic, which is pretty easy. Like I eventually stopped having to Google. Um, but you Google that, there's only so many colors in the rainbow. I know there's a bunch of different spectrums, but it's like blue is for this, purple's for this, red's for this. And then after, then if you really want to get into it, you can branch into herbology. And what I use for that with uh, herbology is like there are certain like, there's like a hoodoo herb shop that I found that's amazing. Um, and I forgot the name of it, but I ordered a bunch of stuff from them. It's still kicking and I can use that. And I got a little mortar and pestle. But then also the metaphysical shop in my neighborhood had a bunch of just like, when I was the one buying loose herbs, like not even like coming from a place of humility, they're like, okay, so you're about it. And I'm like, yeah, I just need these bags of herbs. Because what they use is they take it and then they dress the candle. So like maybe you're paying $15 for this candle that has been blessed and dressed, right? It's ready to go. You just put it on your altar, put it wherever you light it. Here we go. We're in business. I would rather do that myself and just pay you like $350 for this plain white candle because I know what I want to do with it. Um... And then lastly, we got to mention safety. And I had a really good friend, T from the Tarot, ironically, another Aquarius, black man named Jonathan, love them down. And we were just talking about candle safety. And a lot of people don't realize is that I noticed it first and foremost, we're like, funny story, Florida water, are you familiar with it? It's like a cleansing agent in a cologne. I use it in a spray bottle. 
But one time I dressed a candle with Florida water, not realizing that Florida water is essentially alcohol. And I was like, oh, my manifestation. But I was like, no, I lit alcohol on fire. So <laughs> yes, you can, I hope whoever sees this video understands the severity of that. And like, my job was like, what was I? 20, 20, 25, maybe it's so goofy earlier than that. And I'm just like leaving things. Another thing that we want to talk about with candle safety is, and I always start here like Smokey the Bear, you can choose to leave your little seven-day candles. That's what I use. You can choose to leave those boys burning, but that is a fire hazard, right? I have cats. My cats know not to go on my altar and knock things over. But if I like leave a candle burning on the altar in my room and I'm gone, I close the door. And that's my choice. Some people believe that you can like blow candles out and just light them again. That's not my style. But when you get to a place where like, okay, so we've gotten back to the color magic or color psychology of understanding that like, okay, white is for protection and then black absorbs negativity. So if I'm burning back to the power of three, if I'm trying to manifest something, I will burn like a blue candle, right? For clarity of communication. That's like a mercurial energy. But I'll also burn a black candle and a white candle with it to kind of get that Trinity energy of just making sure that everything's protected and I'm not going to manifest something wonky. What it does for me is there's also the energy there. I may dress it with certain herbs. I may use the oils that I like make myself or get from the shop in my neighborhood. But with that being said, is every time I see that candle burning, I'm also aware of the energy and I'm reminded of the things that I'm manifesting and I move in that way. Candle magic to me has been the most powerful. I mean, almost every single religion or spiritual practice uses some form of candles, like Catholic specifically. Like I never get people who are Catholic and they're like, I'm not into witchcraft. I'm like, girl, like how many times is it like, I'll light a candle for you or I'll pray the rosary for you. It's like, that's like ritual. That's like incantation, things of that nature. Candle magic to me is, I don't want to say that anything's easier or harder, but it's one that if you put the time in, like maybe for a day, it can really change the way that you practice. Even if it's just like, sometimes I use just a little tea light moment and I'll just like dress a little tea light, burn it. That's going on four hours, you know? Yep. All of that. There's so much resonance there, especially in terms of access, right? So like for me, the accessibility of getting some, um, we can, you know, the tapered wicks, which are the ones that are the longer stems. A lot of folks can also do the ones that come in glass. Um, there's just, it's one of a way, an accessible way to also practice within the elements, right? So dressing the oils and, and, and allowing the dressing to have herbs has an element of earth. You have the element of fire, just the flame itself itself is connecting or air and fire together, right? Then that kind of oxygen ability to kind of light or ignite the flame. Um, and then the ability to have water to put it out. So a lot of folks, of course, like will say they want to like lick their hands and put it out that way as opposed to blow it out. So that's an also a thing too, in terms of keeping the magic contained. And so of course, some folks have developed nice calluses from that. But again, the idea of licking the tongue and being able to put the wick out that way. Um, a lot of folks also like to cut their wicks. Again, there's this like interesting practice of folks thinking that their wicks are doing something because the magic's saying something. And in reality, similar to the Florida water, like you just needed to cut your wick. So um, they're like, why is there a crater? I'm like, because that wick was too long. Like, and that's something that I learned from TikTok, surprisingly. Um, there's totally a lot there. And as you unpack it, it's kind of like you said, understanding the practice, what you're blending in and also the materials you're using, it's really going to take you far. I think candle magic is, even if it's just like a white one for protection, it just also makes you feel good. Like if you're going to sleep and you see that candle burning, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that is so true. So as we kind of close, the last thing that I wanted to offer for folks was just this idea that I think comes through a lot as we move through kind of the winter time. And then now as we're going to be kind of burgeoning towards spring of kind of this sense of quickening. And so we've kind of come from being a little bit more barren, at least for us in the side of the hemisphere that I'm coming from in kind of winter slumber. And so now we're kind of moving into this moment of like fertility and fertility, not necessarily necessarily meaning kiddos, like literally there's fertile ground. There's just more energy. There's buds. What does it look like in the relationship when we're, you're still kind of tethered to the kind of barren kind of scarcity way. And we're kind of looking towards one would say wanting to kind of be kind of ripening ourselves for spring. I mean, there's so many ways I can say that question, but I think for me is like, how do you support the transitions of those seasons? Like, what are the ways that you're like, okay, now from winter, I notice I'm preparing myself or I'm moving towards some type of threshold or trajectory for spring. Cause there is a seasonal shift, right? There is something that happens to us energetically between seasons. And I'm just wondering if you have anything to share on that. 
I love this question. Um, after December, I'm always in power mode because I'm an Aquarius. And I'm like, this is my season. Let's go. So I think of the, the word hibernation or the Aquarius energy to me is very much like not me, 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 but like solo. Like I really like working on projects alone. So it's a time for you to enter hermit mode. And also it's cold. I live in the Midwest. I'm in Chicago. There's like, like so much snow on the ground right now. But I kind of want to do a little science fact with that before we move into the season of like spring and growth. I remember, I don't know if you know this, I recently found out that like when bears hibernate, they don't sleep the entire winter. Like all my life in school, they were like, they sleep all winter. And I'm like, oh my God, they're just in perpetual slumber. And I think that a lot of us, at least in my age bracket, especially in the American school system, that's what we consider to be hibernation. But no, it's like they rest intensely for hours a day wake up, eat a little something, and then rest again. And if anything, quarantine has shown me that like, it's kind of a forced hibernation. I recently got up and got active again, because I'm like, well, what do I do? I wake up, I make breakfast, I eat it, I can eat it at the table, that's spicy. But then I'm ultimately gonna sit back down on the couch or like lay back down because I can't leave the house. So as we're moving into that, just think about this as a period of rest where you can maybe be getting things in order if you want to pop out in the spring. But ultimately, I think that as we transition into these seasons, and I also like that you kind of brought up the notion of like people seeing the devil as scarcity. It's not scarcity. It's like telling you scarcity is coming if you keep this mindset. So maybe if people are burning themselves out at this time, understand that like, this is not a marathon. Like, this is not a race. This is just like, we're walking. I think that you did a really good job of saying that like, it's not like this is the new normal. We never had a normal, but this is our reality for a while. So we really have to reframe what we consider to be rest and also still do the things that we need to do. But as the seasons change, I think we can keep them in mind. But like I said, this is going to be what the first we're moving into spring in quarantine because we started in March. So it's like, yeah, there's no roadmap for this. We're just going to have to see how cycles have changed. Thanks so much for listening to The Witch's Muse. Please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you find your podcasts. It really helps us spread the word and the muse messages of magic in the everyday. We also have a Patreon where you can visit us over there to connect with extended content, uh, email tarot readings, and other things for the modern witch. We hope to see you all another time. Once again, thanks so much for listening to The Witch's Muse.